Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators Podcast by Balai Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic world of Filipino-American culture. This week's episode is guest hosted by our final graduate of the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program. Balai Creative launched this program with the goal to spotlight the diversity and strength of the next generation. Our talented hosts, with their distinctive perspectives, inject fresh insights into these cultural cultivators' conversations. Follow us on all social media at Balai Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. The third and final graduate of the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program is the exceptional Rochelle Burdain. Rochelle is a rising freshman with the University of California in Merced. They are a queer, non-binary Filipino-American artist passionate about destigmatizing the unspoken trauma the Filipino community experiences. In today's episode, they interview their mentor, Jordan Ray, and dives deep into what it means to reclaim our identities, heal our inner child, and to be Filipino-American. Trigger warning, this episode contains mentions of sexual violence and child abuse that may be triggering for some individuals. You can find more information about the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program at balaicreative.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast episode today. My name is Rochelle Bertin. I'm a queer, non-binary film artist. I'm a rising freshman with UC Merced. And I'm here today with a special guest, Jordan. Hey, everybody. My name is Jordan, and I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for having me, Rochelle. Jordan is one of my mentors and also my previous supervisor. They're also queer and non-binary, a second-gen Phil Am, elder sibling, living ancestor, a self-proclaimed weirdo, (laughs) black sheep, survivor, thriver, cycle breaker, creative artist, caregiver, mover, and dancer, farmer, and my personal favorite, an ever-evolving being embodying the dreams and joys of their loved ones and ancestors that they have prayed for. I'm I'm really honored honored to be here, so. I'm so glad to be meeting with you today, and I'm so excited to get into this. And as part of today's episode, this is a special project brought to you by the Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program, presented by Cultivate Labs and Belay Creative. And today, we are talking about what it means to reclaim our identities as we focus on our personal experiences with intergenerational trauma, healing our inner child, and what it really means to be Phil Ann. So let's get into it. What was it like growing up as a Phil Ann? Um, I'm looking at a picture of my two grandparents and my mom right now, and I like want to tear up because I'm like, ooh, there's a reason why. Like, even if they're not physically present with me, I still feel them telling me like it's okay speak what you know so what it means for me to grow up phil am is a lot of reckoning that there's not a lot that i will know about my family and what they tell me won't always be a full story of 
what I want to know. And I'll, I'll even talk about generational trauma. Like, there's things that my family doesn't want to ever talk about. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's their agency. I don't want to view that in a negative sense, but it's just, like, coming into my own identities as I get older and placing myself back into the past of how I grew up. It was really complex. There was a lot of dented growth and maturity for myself and also rapidly having to mature through certain situations where my family couldn't control, that I couldn't control. Sometimes growing up was secrets held for my own protection and realizing that most times that it did help me and now realizing like, okay, we'll get back to that. Yeah. There's just a lot of complexities to my family in understanding what our identity means to us. And I wouldn't be here without my grandfather, my mom's dad, which is basically like my dad. He raised me. He's now 78, but he immigrated to the States about 1969. But that was also because of like very much a privilege of him going into the military, which is also a really complex thing to think about, too, in terms of, like, how U.S. imperialism and colonization has really impacted, like, how I'm able to exist here today. So without him going into, like, the military and Coast Guard, he wouldn't have been able to bring our entire family here. And he's, like, the first of his siblings He's like the oldest of his siblings, so he was the one that had to bring everyone and his parents here. So without literally being enlisted in this system that has also brought us generational trauma, it's also like, damn, we have the privileges of also being here too. I think about that often where, um, at least with my grandparents, their story is different from mine, where they honor how they got here and it's something that should be honored. Like, yeah. Thank you for doing what you had to do. Right. And I could also be critical about that at the same time. So I feel like growing up Philam is kind of like there's always going to be contentions and like so many gray areas. But I think for me now, being queer, being second gen and so many more things like regardless of labels now for me, like I could instead of taking all that gray, I could choose from a Crayola box and be like, you know what? All these other things exist like that are shitty. And also I'm creating the way that I want to live my life now. And there's so much more about, I guess, just like my own family history that, like I said, I'll never really know about because it's like taboo to talk about. But hey, I want to break those taboos. I want to break secrecy and having to be quiet and having to just not be honest about like what is actually going on. Like that's not me and I think that's like why I'm here in terms of just how to huh, exist you're just coming back to that source of like you know there's more to why you are here for your family and you don't have to just do this for your family like what is your agency and like how are you going to navigate that that's so real I think there is a lot to be said when it comes to growing up Philam and Filipino families, especially when there's a lot of trauma, not a lot of family members choose to talk about it. Not a lot of them choose to talk about their journeys and their stories. So there is a lot of things that are unknown and a lot of complexities that can coexist. 
a lot of these emotions, perspectives, and also these stories can coexist, whether they were good or bad or both. Right. And I think there's a lot of space to be held for all of those things. Seriously. Yeah. And now my mom just popped up. I'm like, I have to mention my mom. Like, my mom and I, oh my gosh, we have such a crazy, very much like in our past lives, our siblings kind of relationship. But I feel like for her and I being first and second gen and then really close in age too, like we're only 20 years apart. For her to grow up first gen with immigrant parents, like I did, I kind of had that by proximity, but for her being a teenage mom and like having these different lenses of motherhood and parenting right. and then parenting me from all these different ways of navigating her life, it's like me as their next generation of their lineage, it's like I can be better at zooming out and seeing how much hurt that they hold. But the older that I've gotten in terms of understanding our Filipino identity specifically, it's like I want to honor it. And for them, like sometimes they only honor it in the ways that they love food or like the ways that we could throw a party or like things like that. You mentioned a lot about your mom and your grandparents and how they raised you. How would you describe your relationship with your parents and also the rest of your family and why? <sighs> yeah, when I think about my relationship with my parents, specifically when I identify my mom, my mom's mom, and my mom's dad. So my mama, my papa, and my mom, they raised me. And of course, like, I also have my dad, but he did not necessarily raise me. But... With them three, I feel like they did their best. And I see that more now in like identifying their humanness. And what I mean by that is just like there's stuff that will never heal. And there's things that I'll never find out about them and that they'll never want to talk about. And I think in me realizing that I won't get the answers that they want to share it's okay it's again like honoring their agency but growing up with them I was just always taught like you know be obedient <laughs> like even my mom I don't know if you know this superstition or if this is just like my family but at one years old they shaved my head <laughs> they believed that I would be like a good child or something and now that I hear that back I'm like this kind like, like, yeah, Maria, like, like, what? Like, who told you this? Like, I mean, I am a good child, but like, y'all didn't have to do that. But also, I've been thinking about my head. But, anyways, <laughs> I want to focus on my mom, though. Like I said, she had me at 19. You know, like, I was an accident. <laughs> I was like the firstborn out of her high school friends <laughs> who eventually became like my village of aunties that also raised me so I've been raised not just like with those three figures but by the village that my mom also created for me and I have old childhood videos of like my birthdays like one through six years old those were years that were just like you didn't think anything could go wrong until it does but when I see those videos I'm like damn like I was really raised by so many different people that were not even blood related to me right and that translated more so into my current life that's how I learned how to build family and what I knew and recognize what family meant to me and I also feel like that's like 
within Filipino families, we know how to just connect with people. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just feels innate. Whereas, whether it's through singing together, through eating together. That's what I saw in those childhood videos or just like cracking jokes at each other. But I feel like my mom did a really good job at 19. Even if there were times where I was handed off to someone else, like my grandparents, like I was held and I was protected and I was made sure that I was as safe as I could be. And there were times where I wasn't protected. And like, this is a huge part of my story in terms of family trauma and also healing. So, you know, my mom, my grandparents did their best to protect me, like I said. And I think around the ages of four and six years old, um, trigger and content warning, sexual violence. And this is also something that I want to bring up on purpose because it's not talked about specifically within Filipino families. But I was sexually abused by my dad's dad, like my own grandpa, and at four and six. And that completely just like rips apart this whole sense of what family meant to me and what trust and safety looks like. And getting to learn and relearn and re-remember the ways that I protected myself and the ways that my family protected me in those times. There's a lot to learn from in terms of what I wouldn't do as a parent and understanding what they had to do. Even just like with my dad, like I didn't have a relationship with him because he kind of stayed complicit and didn't say anything when it all happened. But my mom and my aunties and my grandparents, like they were there and, um, you know, I just don't have a relationship with my dad's side anymore. It's like, man, I look at these family videos. I'm like, I sometimes I wish I had that. But also it's like, I'm glad I did have that too. Mm-hmm. Celebration, grief, violence, secrecy, love, care. Like all of those things existed and still exist. And when I think about those relationships and my Filipino identity and like all these things, it's not always beautiful. And it's also all like really beautiful like I think all the ways that I exist come from so many spectrums of events and as everyone does but when I think about my specific pathways and how I've gotten here how my mom has gotten here how my grandparents have navigated it's just like there's no straight answer of how to live my life or there's no instruction of how to be Filipino or how to be a 19-year-old mother or be an immigrant or like be an immigrant in America. It's just like you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and sometimes that's the capacity that my family had. And now that they paved that way, they paved that much for me. Now I could be like, how can we expand on that? And how can I like take y'all with me so that we can live together? And I always say this in such a condensed way, which is like, how can I thrive and not just survive? And that's what I mean by having my family with me. That brought up so much for me. This is very ironic just to hear you talk about being a survivor at a young age just really resonated because I am also a survivor. And that also happened to me. Oh, I'm going to start crying. (laughs) Yeah. That also happened to me when I was five. (laughs) Yeah. By my cousin on my mom's side. And so it's just like, whoa. I feel you. (laughs) Like, I... I see you and I understand. And that's why I'm like, this has to be talked about. Like secrecy and like protection. Like those things could look and mean so many different ways and intentions. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's like how (laughs) at 
such a young age when your body is just violated by people that's the care thought that like you know it's like yeah yeah that rupture is a whole part of my world and i shouldn't have to be healing from this and it happened and at some points i had to do it a little bit alone and at age 23 i was just finally having the words to be like oh damn there's so much more to than just like this happening a court date and then like oh that person is gone or whatever like it's really complex but also it's not our fault <laughs> definitely not our fault. it's also not a responsibility to constantly hold people accountable yeah it's not my responsibility to always just like teach people how to respect our bond yeah like i'm tired <laughs> of that i'm tired of that and we've done so much to help myself work through that and live through that and live meaning like actually honor that my body exists yeah. and that it doesn't exist for anyone else like but you but me mm-hmm. period yeah so when I think about my family <laughs> when I think about how I was raised it's like everyone did their best and they also did their worst <laughs> and like I don't ever want to punish them for that. That That's not even like the motive. It's just like y'all were resourced with whatever your resource at the time to know how to protect me. And now I have a little bit more tools to learn how to, you know, do better. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, but I love them and I love everything that has been sacrificed. And I'm living a fruitful life and there's just more fruits to add to my basket. Yes, there should be. Yes, there should be. Wow. What a space to be in together. Talk about all of this during the first few minutes. Needed a warm up. Right. Yeah, I'm like, right into the trauma. Yeah. I'm like, how do I not talk about this? But it comes up. Yeah. If it comes up, it comes up. Exactly. Yeah. Just want to honor you and your experiences. Like, I've only known you for pretty much a year, but it's honestly beautiful to share this space with you and also be vulnerable with you and share so much of yourself with me and to so many people who will be hearing this too. It's important. I appreciate you. I'm like, yeah, I already knew. I'm just like, we are held. Like there are so many more stories to tell beyond this one. And yeah, like we're here. (laughs) We are here. Yeah. And we are doing our best. We're doing our best. Another thing I wanted to mention was how being raised by so many people shaped the way you grew up, especially being younger. And I wanted to ask, how has that dynamic affected your view and experience of love with people outside of your family? Wow, that's a great question. Oh, man, it just feels so much more expansive. Like, wow, love can mean so many different things and look so many different ways. And it doesn't have to be transactional. It doesn't have to be obligatory. Being raised by so many different people allowed me to realize that so many people have different ways to love you and show you what love can look like. Yeah. Whether that's through just like changing my diaper or like being held or teenage years, like sending a text. I was like, hey, if you if there's something that you can't tell your mom, you could always tell me (laughs) that's from like an auntie or like. I know that there are certain things that your grandparents will understand. Like, for me, being raised by different groups of people allowed me to understand that I'm also expansive. There is so much 
to love about me because so many different people have loved on me <laughs> in their way. And, ooh, wow. There's so much that I'm worth sacrificing for. Mm. Ooh. Mm. I was like, yeah, that, that makes me feel like, oh, even though there are certain ways that either my mom wasn't present for or was present for, it was because she also needed to find ways to love herself in order to also love me. And maybe at the time when she would not be home or I'm left alone to make sure that I'm safe while she's like out, while she was in her younger 20s, like she was still young. Or if she left me with a cousin or something to go play, like I got to engage in play and also understand my own independence through other communities while my mom was able to, like, live her life, she also gave me space to live mine. <laughs> and I appreciate her for doing that. And it's probably just because she's an Aquarius. <laughs> and Mr. Aquarius. <laughs> she got a lot of ways to explore her own identities, too. Like, she used to be a go-go dancer, and she used to work at a sushi restaurant, and now she's in sales or whatever. And I think she's really fucking cool. Like, I love her so much. Like, she just inspires this multitude of ways of being and loving that I want to embody. I just really love that I've been helped by so many people, and they've molded the ways that I could always change my mind mm -hmm. and how I can be or how I could love or how I can show up for other people. Yeah, there's so much room and so much to gain from the different experiences we have of love from different people way outside of just our family because our family is like our first home. It's our first place where we learn what love looks like and what love feels like, mm -hmm. even if it's a negative way. And as we grow up and as we grow older, we carry a lot of that with us mm -hmm. and it shapes the way we show love to other people and the way we embody that as well yes. and healing from that too. Yeah, I'm especially when I mention, of course, chosen family. Like I keep mentioning what I grew up with, but ooh, early 20s really was like the marker of understanding queerness. <laughs> My queerness. Hey, like, here we go. <laughs> but here we go. I'll talk about it. That was one chapter, but like once I got to grow into understanding chosen family, what that meant for me before even knowing what that term was, it was just like, ooh. I gained a lot of chosen family and understanding what that meant when I was independently on my own in school. My friends that I made in college, <laughs> we were all in um rugby but being involved in like that space in a team that was full of more queer people and then the dynamics of like ooh, being a family but also like not being a family <laughs> it was just like I found my community and you know sometimes I'm just like damn anything can be made into a loving and safe environment ooh there's some grief that I'm holding in terms of like the people that I thought would be with me forever but it's also okay <laughs> that they're not but there's relationships outside of my family where I'm just like damn I love y'all even if you're not a part of my life anymore so the ways that I've learned and have been raised through different pods of people have allowed me to be like I could create this for myself now and I do have that and I am grateful for the ways that I formed that for myself and that's simply through others recognizing and loving all the ways that I show up imperfectly mm -hmm. and show up even when I don't make sense to myself. They become reflections of like, nah, Jordan, you are enough. <laughs> like, you know, that's sometimes all I need to hear from folks that I have chosen to love outside of my family. Mm -hmm.
what's important for me to be surrounded by folks that recognize how I don't have to be just one way to them or there isn't a transaction of how I need to show up for them it's just like we show up for each other and we just exist together (laughs) and that's just how I want my relationships to always feel like where there is effort but effortless in the way that like it's not conditional it's not conditional thank you and I'm like wow I have that even if that's just one or two people like wow that's enough for me like that's beautiful and I could continue to keep doing that for the rest of my life that's cool like those people exist out there community can mean so many things (laughs) it can look so many ways and I see myself in a lot of multitudes (laughs) So many different ways. So to have relationships that fill the different parts of the ways that I exist is like, wow, that feels like art. (laughs) Yeah, we exist in multitudes. There's no one way to be you. There's no one way to be me. There's no one way to be yourself in general. You're allowed to shift and change and grow many times. Yeah, in many ways. Any moment in time. (laughs) There's so many pivotal moments. One... When I joined rugby when I was like 20, 21, and that's when I like realized I'm queer. (laughs) Um, That was a big formative age for me and being surrounded by so many other queers and going out like dancing every weekend (laughs) and and more too. Also, I embody caregivers. I'm a mentorship of an amazing group of healers, practitioners, doulas that all are just down for whatever liberation looks like to them and finding our own gifts in that way. Also, my chosen family, also my siblings, Elijah, Jaden, Marley, and Luke. I love them. They really, like, shape how I need to show up for them and myself because it's a challenge to use my voice. It's been silenced so many ways. I can hear myself and honor that. And also... This is just another way to practice that, like, I own my body. I own it. I own this. And it's fucking hard to do this because there's been so many repeated times where I have been either told or shown that speaking up and honoring a truth that's bigger than anyone else can take accountability for. Mm. Like, that's a big job. And there's always these questions of, like, am I ready for it? Or... Am I going to make sense to somebody? Is my story going to make sense? Is anyone going to understand me? I don't even think those questions are relevant anymore. It's more of like, how are you going to show up for you? How are you going to honor your body? How do you want to respect yourself? And it always comes back to just like, just be you, Jordan. Like, just be unapologetically here. Even if you can't complete your sentence, even if your voice is shaking, even if your body's shaking, like, that's your body alive. Yeah. That's you living. Living don't have to look like making enough money or punishing yourself anymore or having to perform. Like, we don't have to perform for shit. Uh, We, meaning all the parts of me, present, future, past, like, nah, like, we're here. And that's the everyday practice, whatever that looks like. And that's also how I choose and can transmute creativity or reminding myself that I am a creative in remembering, like, There's not one way to do this shit. I say this so many times and it holds weight every time. Like, there's not one way to be. So what are you going to do? Right. Period. Yeah. It's real shit. I mean, so many of us are taught that our voices are not important and to dismiss our own needs and invalidate our own experiences when it's bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) Right. Who told us that? We know. (laughs) 
Um, you don't. We don't. We don't. <laughs> I don't. Fuck you. Ask <laughs> We can. Our voices are important. Our experiences are important. And we deserve to take up space, hold space for ourselves, and hold space for each other. And share what we want to share. Yeah. Say what we want to say and embody all of who we are in every aspect, in every way, and in every space. Yes. Mm. Yes. And so long as it, do- it doesn't, like, harm, harm anyone. Yes. Like, woo! Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I just thought of my mommy issues. <laughs> oh, man. I just love that. You understand. The way that I'm remembering things and what I want to say is very much like I'm a kernel of popcorn and I pop. I pop when I want to. And right now I'm feeling poppy about my mom. I love her. She's very complex. And there's things that I'm very proud of and not proud of when it comes to our relationship. But it's so complex in the ways that her and I exist together. And it's also beautiful. Like the other day, I was venting to her about my dad. Because my dad is also my dad. But (laughs) we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. I love him too. I was just saying, mom, like... I don't know how you did this when you were so married with him. I understand now. I don't know what to do. I'm just filled with anger. I can't even talk to him. And she's just like, there were things that I wish that I had done differently. I wish I gave you the room to have your own perceptions about your dad instead of me telling you who he was. And like for her to say that and for her to talk to me in a tone that actually felt like we were talking not even as mother and child, but as like, human to human I'm like whoa like even if I have those moments where briefly with my mom where it lasts for like a minute I'm like ooh, this is really special I just love the complexities of her because she's such a bad ASS (laughs) (laughs) like she has the answers to everything it's a good and a bad thing because she has a vision of how my life should be sometimes and then as I grow into myself I see the cards you dealt And I'm going to throw in a wild card instead. And her word for word was like, as much as I tried to give you these options for how you should get money and how you should do this in school and how you should use your degree, you went off and did whatever you wanted to do. And I'm actually really proud of that. And I was like, you're proud. What? You said you're proud of me? (laughs) Like, The ways that she wanted to control and the ways that she doesn't notice she controls me or tries to like the other day was just like actually I see a lot of myself in you when you talk about your anger towards your dad and I think she saw this part that was like I actually don't resonate with that part of me anymore and I want to tell you Jordan right now that you can change the course of that generational like healing for me you don't have to stay angry at your dad anymore because you don't have to protect me you don't have to protect yourself you don't have to protect yourself from your dad anymore you can choose to not involve yourself like you have that freedom to do that you don't have to take that on if you don't need to but I also honor your anger is what she was basically saying to me and all the ways that he has harmed me too when I had that moment with her I was like damn we're like equals right now and that's really rare (laughs) But I just had this realization, like, my mom's not going to 100% understand me being non-binary or being queer or understanding what queer means or understanding how I choose to honor my Filipino identity or how I do X, Y, Z with my life. She's not going to completely understand. But now we've reached this, like, middle ground of, like, I'm not going to understand, but I still love you. 
my, oh, we're there now? That's cool. And maybe we won't get there another day, but it's like the relationship that we got right now is like enough for me. I'll take it. I'll also have expectations of how I think we could heal, but I also can't hold that on her too. I can't hold that expectation of thinking people are going to be a certain way in my head. That's also my healing too of like, no, I just have to be authentically myself, whatever that means and looks like. And eventually those that know will know and those that don't, don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. That resonated a lot. I also recently just had a very strange, similar conversation <laughs> with my mom about my dad. Hey, hashtag daddy issues. Hashtag daddy issues. We'll get better. Mommy issues. <laughs> I mentioned this a lot, especially like being a poet. No. Talking about my poems. I talk about my family a lot. I talk about my parents a lot. And how I stopped talking to my dad recently mm-hmm. and it was just like I'm currently going through a lot of weird waves of just being so damn angry mm-hmm. at him but then also understanding him because of the way he grew up and how so much of his life he never learned to be independent and so much of his behavior mm-hmm. was enabled by his mom mm-hmm. and it's ironic because three generations of fathers are literally the exact same who were enabled by their moms, carried a lot of toxic behavior in the way they treat their wives or treated their wives, being very verbally and emotionally abusive towards them and playing victim a lot and being very controlling. And when I hear about your story, it makes me think like, wow, that's exactly how I feel about my dad. And when I talked to my mom the other day about that, um it was just like i could see how angry she was too and how angry she was about not only the way she was treated but more importantly like how he could do that to his own kids and my mom being my mom i know she cares so much about us like despite our own issues and our past and whatever happened between both of us Mm -hmm. it's strange to sit there with her and see how much of her anger is because of the way she loves us. Like, her love is through anger. Ooh. And it took me a minute to sit there and be like, wow, I'm still processing my anger, but even after so many years, she's still processing hers about him. And I think that kind of just taught me, like, although I don't exactly know where I'm going with how I feel about my dad, I think I can still hold space for that and not have to make the decision about how I feel about him I can miss him and still be angry at him and I can also be like hey screw you I don't care about you and then the next day start crying (laughs) and it's okay you know and that's also okay for my mom too no matter how many years have gone by I think it's so valid for her to hold space and also be angry but also a reminder for her to also let go because she's no longer that person She's no longer in that space with him, no longer with him. And she can define who she is without him. Isn't it like wonderful (laughs) in a way how at least I can see reflections of my mom in me. And then my mom can see reflections of herself in me too. And I'm like, ooh, that's really powerful in the ways that my mom can be grounded in herself and how she feels about our relationship is purely coming from me also feeling grounded in myself first. So I appreciate that you said the in your own way, you could zoom out and see your parents' pathway. You could see where this is all coming from. 
Yeah. And all these things can exist inside of you. And that doesn't make it a binary of good or bad. It's just right. is. And there's no expectation to show how that's going to always heal you or whatever. It just is sometimes. Right. We don't have to always just put labels like, I need to feel this feeling because X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z. No, like, it's okay to just be angry and also love at the same time. I find the beauty in that. Yeah. Especially through your very first caregivers. <laughs> Ooh, like learning that through them first yeah. and understanding that they are complex AF right. <laughs> also makes me understand like, ooh, me too. Right. Me too, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about the way our caregivers show love to each other and how that influences the way we show love to ourselves mm -hmm. and the way we view ourselves. And that also brings up the question of how have your family, your culture, and your identities influenced the way you view yourself now? Oof, now. I feel like from when it started at a young age, it was at the time, my name is Kayla. And I have to honor little Kayla too, because they weren't little Jordan. I'm Jordan now. So little Kayla at the time was very much like, I need to do what's told. I need to be this perfect little cutesy listen to everybody, do what they say, put on this pedestal like, this is our very first granddaughter, this is our first grandchild on both sides of my family. So it was just like a big deal that I was born. <laughs> so I think from the start of that, it was just like, let's put all of our expectations of what it means to have this perfect grandchild and then growing up with expectation to stay and feel valued through those expectations of who I was. And I checked all the boxes. I graduated high school. I got decent grades. <laughs> I didn't get great grades, but I did enough. And that was enough for my mom to not yell at me. And I did as I was told. And I went to college. And when I got out of college, it was just like, okay, what does it even mean to have like a job? Like all these things I just started to question. I'm like, what is this doing for me to hold on to so many different other people's values? Like, who am I? Who am I now? And I still feel this like past part of me that is just still wanting to please, still wanting to be wanted and valued by my family members. And also dealing with the anger of like, they don't want to see the parts of me that have like grown into who I am as someone that they don't really completely understand or looking different or cutting my hair shorter or if I don't look as femme as I do on certain days or if I'm like got a new piercing <laughs> or sometimes if I have sharp eyeliner my grandma would be like you look like a bruja I'm like what I'm like I actually take that as a compliment I like being witch <laughs> I feel like witchy all the time I am magical so now with this whole understanding of where my people-pleasing has come from, where I've shrunken myself and how I've like shape-shifted to fit people's values, it's kind of like I'm reclaiming that now for myself in terms of like, oh, wait, shape-shifting? I'm natural at that point. I've learned it in the way that I had to shape-shift myself for other people, but like, ooh, meeting more people that shapeshift on their own through their trans identity, being non-binary, holding all these intersections of themselves, like, oh, that's possible? I could do that? That's fucking fun. Yeah. And what's preventing it from making me being fun? 
you know, and resisting and questioning those things and being like, no, that's stupid. Nothing should be black or white. Nothing should be like, no, you can't be this. And yes, you have to be this because you look this way or that you sound this way. I'm like, no, like, shut up. <laughs> like, shut up. Actually, I'm going to go have fun over here. Like, you're also welcome to join if you don't bring that with you. Yeah, if you don't bring all that with you, like, leave all that behind. When you're ready, I'm here figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, being able to understand that every day is a new way for me to exist and a new way for me to be creative with and own my body and own my voice and own my playfulness. And again, going back to how am I going to respect myself? How am I going to live my life abundantly? Because I deserve that from me first. I don't need permission from anyone to be like, should I make this decision or should I wear this? Like, I don't need that anymore. And it's hard. Some days I do need that. <laughs> But ultimately, resisting all of the ways that I've been told how to be, look, and sound like. And I just like, no, <laughs> I can own that and I could hear myself and that's enough. I'm enough. Yeah. I think that's something I'm still trying to work through now, especially recently, just trying to be more accepting and understanding of my own queer identity and also being non-binary. It's like... There's a lot of internalized ideologies, both within my own family and also just within society that I'm also trying to unlearn. Yep. And it's hard, you know, especially when all these ideas and all these expectations of who your family expects you to be, especially coming from a Filipino family, you know, like that Asian stereotype of you need to go be a doctor, you got to be a lawyer, got to go make hella money. Um, you got to be this, you got to be that. And then you find out that you don't want to be any of those things. You don't want to follow that life path. You don't want to identify specific the way your family or even society yeah. tries to put you in and tries to label you as within these binaries. And there's something so liberating about being able to be like, nah, screw that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. And I'm going to find my own little acceptance with or without you kind of thing. Even though it is kind of hard because, I mean, it's your family. You want that acceptance. You want that love. But I think there's also something beautiful about giving that to yourself, even when your family can't give that to you. Of course. It is. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful and it hurts. And I've talked about this with a lot of my cousins, specifically with them, because we all are mostly second gen. And mm -hmm. our parents, they grew up where they also resisted in the ways that they did, too. But our resistance looks different, especially my cousin that I'm talking about specifically is Puka. And me and them, we're always just like, damn, we're such good kids. All we want is to take our parents with us to what we envision a free world looks like for us. We're not trying to keep them out. Like, we want y'all to free yourselves, too. You don't have to hold on to the ways that you make money or the ways that you could be a model citizen or whatever that means to you. We're trying to bring y'all with us. <laughs> like, this is an invitation, but also we can't force y'all. <laughs> we really can't. And that's the disheartening part where binaries really fuck shit up because it's like there's no punishment here for us as y'all's children we don't want to punish you for not knowing enough that's how my mom puts it out or my grandparents put it out i'm not trying to make you feel like xyz it's more of like this is what i understand and how i see my world and how i want it to be better and i just know that you could thrive here with me 
And I have to honor their choice when they're just like, I don't understand you. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, and that's where we're at, Ben. Yeah. And that's the hard part about growing up. <laughs> mm. It was just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. You mentioned a lot of the intergenerational trauma that has affected your family. What generational cycles have you witnessed that you're trying to break? I feel like definitely cycles of anything around money. Money is a big category as to how my family navigates and shapes their values and not being silent about shit. And even as a kid, being touched by my grandpa, I already have used my voice. So I have to go back and remember, like, little me knew what to do. Little me already had the autonomy to know something was not right, something was not okay. And outside of that happening, it translates to other ways that I need to advocate for myself. No longer being complicit in the ways that people assume they could treat me and my body. And I do that by talking about it right now. <laughs> talking about it without any shame. Because the shame was instilled in me by other people to stay quiet about it or to not reveal something that other family members aren't accountable for the harm that they did to me and it's also addiction within my family specifically and healing my relationship to money money isn't this arbitrary things like i have student loans my dad is a gambler my mom is my co-signer for things everything tied to capitalism has ruined my family in different ways and i don't have the full answer of how i am overcoming that yet because as long as capitalism exists, it's still going to hurt in the way that I feel it now and how it's affecting my life and my family's life. But when I see my dad and his addictions to gambling and substances, it's coming from a place of he doesn't have control over certain things in his life. And I'm still figuring out the answers as to how I can heal that. I can't heal that for him necessarily, but it's more about either talking to my siblings to not leave them in the dark about certain things that are happening because I was left in the dark for certain things happening and just honoring that no matter what age my siblings are they have the right to know what's going on in their lives and that's where I feel like I can be an agent of change for myself in seeing that they don't have to be in the dark like when I was a kid being tied to their livelihoods and their dependency on my dad and their mom, which is my stepmom. It's like I could use my privilege as their older sibling who has gone through similar and repeated patterns that my dad has repeated from my younger self because of his addictions and giving insight to my siblings. And like, look, I don't want you to feel like you have to punish dad because that's not the point. You have to understand that this is literally generational trauma. He had to find ways to cope with his own dad, who also gave me trauma. That relative is a source of a lot of things that have created these cycles of feeling like we were out of control of our lives. The way that money has shaped the ways that my family navigates their lives has also shaped the way that I want to heal my relationship to being abundant in ways that money can't supply for me. And that's through play, dancing or laughing, being hella silly. Like that shit's free and that's accessible. And I just want to remind my loved ones that we're more than what scarcity makes us feel. 
and makes us think we are without feeling scarce. I don't want to navigate through feeling less than or not enough or feeling like we don't have enough, even though I do. The ways that I am healing generational feelings of scarcity is through reminding myself that I have a lot to be grateful for and there's a lot to look forward to, like the communities I'm going to build, the people I've yet to meet, all the ways that I could access joy and all the ways that even sadness and anger can also be tools for me and my loved ones to feel more abundant about who they are and how much more our lives can feel freer without centering money all the time. And I know that's hard and that could be a privilege too. But I also believe that's where creativity can be a tool for understanding that we can create spaces, we can create art for the purpose of understanding that money does not rule everything. <laughs> I just believe everything's connected in that way of being even more vulnerable about my emotional and mental health. Like I grew up being told I was too sensitive or, or cry too much, but now I'm viewing that as a superpower. Like I really, really am an emotionally intelligent person. I, I gas myself up about that because I was always in some ways feeling like I'm too much or too little of something or my emotions were too much for certain people. But no, my emotions are very telling of my safety, of how I feel and navigate joy. I just listen to a lot of what is being brought up from my body now more than ever because that's information more valuable to me than money <laughs> or more valuable than oof, what money can buy and yeah. let me tell you tell me tell me <laughs> the way you brought up listening to your body and the way money has affected your family so much brought me back to literally my own childhood of watching my parents argue about money all the time because we were always behind on rent and we were always moving all the time. Like, we could never stay at a place for more than a few months. So we would always be moving back and forth between Alameda and Oakland, living with relatives. Because at a certain point in our lives, like, we couldn't afford our own place. And even after my parents divorced, that was also the situation for a good year. A good couple of years, actually. Um, and honestly, hearing you talk about how you and your siblings can live your lives without having to feel and pretty much survive like you can live your life without feeling like you got to stay in survival mode and feeling like money has to be the way you live your life based off of how much you have and what you can do when you can find joy and abundance in so many things outside of money and that was just such a big thing to think about because I think a lot of people when we think about success when we think about survival it's centered around money it's centered around how much we have how much we can afford and how can we literally live our lives like that and that stems from capitalism like you said and that's the hard part because money is pretty much the center of everyone's lives but I think also something unique about what you just said was especially talking about listening to your body I think that's something I've ironically enough learned from you recently and pretty much this whole year is learning how to listen to my body especially for me, and I'm sure you can relate to this and a lot of people can too, is like when you've spent a lot of your life having your literal autonomy over your own body, feeling like it belonged to someone else and having all that shame literally engraved into 
your body and having trauma in places where it shouldn't be. It's like I'm tapping back into learning that it's okay. It's safe to feel emotions in my body. Like that's that's a big thing I'm learning. Learning that it's okay for me to feel these emotions in my body and that it's okay and it's safe for me because this is my body and I have complete control over it and the things that I want and the things that my body needs. That's a huge thing for me to sit with and process because I have a lot of trauma held in places where it really shouldn't be. And it's a lot. Yep. Navigating both of those things is huge and it's a process. Yeah. It, yeah. It's important. One of my really good friends, their name is Flo, and they call themselves Flo the Fairy Godsy. They're also very well-versed embodiment of intentional movement to dance and release parts of what you said where trauma is held, literally letting it go. And whenever we link up, we're both just super playful, laughy. It's just like, wow, we're at our big old ages. It doesn't even matter. We just need to release so much that we've held on in so many versions of ourselves, like laughing or doing a silly dance that doesn't look like it's being performed for somebody. Yeah, that's why even when we're doing Bangalai, like I can't express how much that validated me. And that's something that I want to bring back into my routine and daily life is intentional movement, whether that looks like stretching in the morning for five minutes or singing or something, allowing me to feel more freer and fluid in my body. Aside from generational trauma, generational joy can exist and is existent in my life too. And my mom is an artist. Like she may not see that in herself now because she has a second kid and has to survive capitalism every day and has to pay these loans, these bills and whatever. Like I remember these parts of her that I also see myself or I want to break that cycle of having to feel like we're doing as we're told because this is the one way to survive but I want to explore artistry and all these things like there's so much beauty in it's what I want yeah just having fun with it there's so much potential in play dance and singing there's so much value to that like oh yeah Bangalai really set the tone for me. Oh my gosh, yeah. I felt that heavy. And speaking of Bangalai and dancing, like there's something so healing about movement and literally dancing and moving your body. Because for me, when we were learning Bangalai, shout out Kim. <laughs> something so special about Bangalai is like, for one, I, I was never a dancer. Like, my brother is a dancer in this family. I do not have that specialty. Like, I start dancing, I look like real stiff. Hey, the robot is a pretty cool dance. No, no, about you. Um, but yeah, and we did it. And something that was so healing about Bangala is that it really taught me to really tap into my body and to really connect myself back to my body after spending, like, so many years feeling so disconnected to my body and really feeling everything in my body. And it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's literally fluid movement. It's like, you're there and you're present and you're not thinking about anything but the way you feel and the way your body feels and just taking it in. It's so freaking... <laughs> 
fun. It's just feeling, and so like it's, it gives you that feeling when you're just at peace, but also having a blast. And you mentioned a lot about like how dancing has done that for you, bringing you so much joy. Can you describe a specific memory and bring yourself back to a moment where you really felt it while you were dancing, whether that was Bangala or even, you know, a different dance? Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many. There is this time when I was like seven or eight. <laughs> like every spring break with me and my cousins, we would get together and make music videos. <laughs> like love to do that stuff. Me and my cousins would just start lip syncing to different songs <laughs> and then create choreography to that. And I feel like that's so Filipino to do also. <laughs> just like make choreography on the spot <laughs> or just do an impromptu dance to a song. I'll even make up my own rhythms, whatever I'm humming or a random song that pops into my head and I'll just do a two-step. It's something right. as simple as that, but also my parents did Tahitian a lot and then I danced that for a year when I was younger and ballet and tap. But all of those dance styles were important to me, but it was more about the intimate moments of me dancing without a mirror. Mm. The way that Kim instructed us without mirrors all the time. Yeah. That was really important for me to be like, oh, I don't have to perceive myself. I could literally feel like water and feel how I'm moving is enough. And also really learning from different culture bearers, just like Kim, like, I love Kim so much. <laughs> and doing it specifically with y'all as youth, it was just like, oh, we're all doing this because we're feeling so connected whether we are Filipino or not. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of how dance can feel universal. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the mirrors part. I remember I used to do dance in seventh grade, but I was so insecure about it. Mm -hmm. And when you remove the aspect of perceiving yourself, you're really forced to sit with yourself and feel emotions in your body without having to think critically about like, oh, what do I look like? Oh, how are people going to see me? It's just like, no, how do you feel? What do you feel in your body? How do you feel about the way you're moving? And we talked a lot about how dancing and finding joy can really invite a lot of healing into our lives. And I wanted to ask you, what does healing mean to you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And can you describe a moment in your life where you felt like, wow, this is healing? The first thing I could think about is body autonomy. I'm looking at this drawing I made from old therapy notes and I drew myself something. <laughs> I drew a little house and it says, I am my home right above the door and the windows. And I put little bushes of flowers and then I put a little figure of myself <laughs> touching the house mm -hmm. under the moon. <laughs> Very picturesque of me, but I think about how I'm constantly reminding myself that home is transcendent. It most definitely first starts with me and my body. Um, I wrote here, I am my own home, home is me. My comfort and safety comes from my own hands, my warmth, my heart. I am home. I feel like home. When I feel without home, it is only a feeling. I am always here. I am home. I am here. And I think I wrote that last year. I feel so much all at once sometimes, and that's a gift. And healing for me is healing little me, teenage me, early 20s me, present me. It could look ugly. It could 
sometimes look like it's wrapped in a bow and I have all my thoughts together and it could look like completely feeling outside of my body or just allowing myself to unravel or allowing other people to witness me unraveling and then raveling myself up again. There is no timeline for me. It just is a commitment to myself. It's a commitment to giving an invitation for others to also witness me in the ways that I show up and that also being a privilege if I do let them witness me however I show up. Healing is playing with my expression of self. Reminding myself that I'm here. I'm also mirrors of so many generations before and after me. I'm a living ancestor. I want to pass down generational joy. And if I ever do decide to have descendants after me or kids of my own, or even if I don't birth on my own, like whoever is my family following me or in all those contexts, they're able to be like, this is who I want to put on my altar. <laughs> this is who I want to watch over me. And I think about my process of healing as a way of not fixing something broken, but of just existing in the ways that looks and feels real. <laughs> I am building a home within myself and my healing, it's not just for me. Like, I want to share this. There's so much love that I hold and I'm just so ready and excited to share and create. And that's like enough for me to stay alive. In the same way that love can look different ways and has so many definitions, like healing, it's an ongoing definition. The moment to encapsulate <laughs> all of those things is literally right now and also sharing laughter or dancing resting it's more of these intimate moments that are so healing where i remind myself like wow i've existed and exist in so many different ways what more can i do what more can i create and i'm excited for that yeah and you mentioned a lot of excitement for transformation and as you should be and as you continue to evolve and continue your transformations how has your personal journey affect the way you move forward now? I'm only 28. So the way I see within the 28 years of me being alive, I've, I felt like I have jumped through multiple universes. <laughs> I feel like I say that because with that tied to being a lot more comfortable and more understanding of being non-binary, it's like I'm not a gray area. I'm an infinite amount of possibilities. And outside of being non-binary, it's like I am a whole universe. I could continue to create, choose where I go. And I'm just really excited for what more I learn from other folks. I learned so much from you, honestly. And how much of just understanding that I'm not alone in a lot of the ways that I navigate my life and it doesn't matter how long I've known a certain person or like talking to someone on the street that's just saying hi or whatever there's always something that I could learn from anyone like education is everywhere it is all right so we talked about a lot of things today especially with your personal journey and healing and as we wrap up this episode is there any last thing you want the listeners to take away from our conversation today all the versions of myself that are like listening to myself right now listening as future self i'm so proud of you <laughs> 
you're hella loved. <laughs> That's for sure. And to not let capitalism, scarcity, and limitations steer you away from reminding myself at least that I have a commitment to living an expansive life and having the least expectations of what that looks like and to remain creative in imagining the world that I want to live in and reminding myself that I am living parts of those realities. Like, damn, I really have come through a lot and I hope that like listening to the tidbits that I've shared today is still enough. And I think there's a practice in that transparency to myself that you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You know, just remain curious, create more spaciousness to keep learning from yourself in all the phases and environments that you see yourself change in. Like, learn from that. Learn from whatever your body feels lit up from or excitement or ease listen to that like be fully aware of what your body cues and what your body cues tell you like your internal wisdom is a gift and have fun with whatever if something goes to shit it goes to shit and it's redirecting you to another area of life that's open for more creation and molding future me and whoever resonates with this keep learning from your relationships with others and the land especially we're all connected yes Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your personal journey with us and dropping so much wisdom. And a little trauma dump, but like... (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I'm so honored to have you as my guest. And I'm so glad I got to share space with you. And we're going to be continuing to share space. Mm -hmm. And thank you to everyone who took the time to listen. I think one of my greatest takeaways from my conversation with Jordan is to unapologetically reclaim our identities and our stories through joy, transparency, and love as BIPOC and queer, trans, and non-binary people. We have been conditioned to believe that we need to conform to succeed. And when we talk about wanting to see and make change, we need to realize and understand that It all starts with us because our existence is radical. That transformation, that healing, that evolution, it starts with us. Healing starts with us holding space for ourselves and honoring who we are and the stories we carry. And by giving ourselves permission to do so, we create the space for other people to do the same, period. (laughs) Anyway, y'all, be sure to give Jordan a follow on their Instagram at Jordan.ray, that's J-O-R-D-A-N-N dot R-A-Y-E. Send them some love. Let them know that their fits are dope or whatever. <laughs> and if you want to follow me, my Instagram is at R-M-B dot F. That's R-M-B dot E-L-L-E. If y'all want no pressure. <laughs> and another big shout out to Belai Creative, Cultivate Labs, Iggy, and Maori. Thank you all so, so much for your time, your energy, your guidance, and all the love and support. And I promise y'all, this is the last shout out I'm gonna give. <laughs> and this one is to my people. Thank you for seeing me as I am and loving me unconditionally. All right, y'all. Take care of yourselves. Drink water. If you think you drank enough water, 
you probably didn't. <laughs> and be on the lookout for a feature podcast created by me. This week's episode, I have to tell you, I normally cry when I listen to the final edit of our podcast episodes, but this is the first episode where I cried throughout from tears of reflection of my own past sexual assault to tears of joy hearing about their joyful evolution and transcendence beyond capitalism. I mean, this conversation had so many pearls of wisdom from us being mirrors for others and seeing ourselves reflected in our loved ones to empowering ourselves out of scarcity mentality and choosing to adopt a more abundant mindset to also embracing our complexities as a human You know, it's okay to both miss and love and also be angry at a family member who's hurt you. As Jordan said, all these feelings can coexist inside of us and it doesn't make it good or bad. It just is. But I think the lesson I take away most from this week's episode is when Jordan courageously talked about thriving and not just surviving her sexual assault as a child. I want to share one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Martin Luther King around fear and courage. And he said, first, we must face our fears without flinching. We must honestly ask ourselves, why are we afraid? The confrontation will, to some measure, grant us power. We can never cure fear by the method of escapism nor can it be cured by repression. The more we attempt to ignore and repress our fears, the more we multiply our inner conflicts and cause the mind to deteriorate into a slum district. Courage is the power of the mind to overcome fear. And courage is self-affirmation, which includes self-love and eventually the love of others. Courage faces fear and thereby masters it. Cowardice represses fear and is thereby mastered by it. I feel like Jordan and Rochelle have mastered their fears and there is so much power to bringing your trauma to the light like they have. You know, as a manifestation mentor, I started doing this practice with my friends and then eventually clients almost a decade ago where every full moon, or at least the start of the new year, I would gather my friends and we would intentionally write down our fears, our self-doubts, anything that was getting in the way of our dreams or self-love or our growth. And then we would together collectively watch them all burn in a huge fire pit. I share this today because We're ending 2023 and we're prepping for a new year. And there's this story of a power in 
releasing our fears and fire and seeing that as a cathartic way and releasing. You know, rangers in the forest, they often do controlled fires in order to burn away any dangerous underbrush that is getting in the way of tree saplings growing to their fullest potential. So I invite you listeners to do something similar in your own life and acknowledge that you are clearing all the dangerous underbrush away to make more room for growth. Growth that will make your own personal and internal forest thrive in a beautiful way. You know, with the full moon energy still vibrating from last night's full moon, I invite you to shine some light on your fears and release them in preparation for 2024. Like Jordan and Rochelle mentioned, healing is never linear. And our personal healing isn't just for ourselves or our descendants. I personally feel that our individual healing and self-love permeates through our bloodlines, both down to our descendants and up to our parents and past them to our ancestors. We are not just our ancestors' wildest dreams. We are their healing too. And when we are vocal about our healing like Jordan and Rochelle are, there's strength and vulnerability. There is power in our reflection. And that power has the ability to shine that light around us, inspiring a collective healing into our communities and Kapwa. If you were as inspired and excited as I was to listen to this week's episode, well, I'm excited to announce that Balai Creative will continue our Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast program next summer. And we aim to teach youth in the Bay Area how to produce their very own podcast. So we are giving 10 high school youth the opportunity to attend a summer program of storytelling and podcast workshops where teens can learn how to interview, research, edit, and even produce their very own podcast. I think for me, like the Unsung Heroes has really empowered me to just allow people to hear me and see me in a different way that I haven't allowed myself to do before. And I think it was one of those moments where it's just like, I need to give myself permission to hear myself and let other people hear me. And so I think this was just like such a big, like pivotal moment for me to be like, screw it, let's do it. (laughs) Genuinely like allow myself to be an expansive human being that shares not only space with other people, but like give myself permission to share space with my own self and the experiences and stories and wisdom I also carry. You can find more information about our Unsung Heroes Youth Podcast Program, and teens can also apply for a full scholarship at balaicreative.com slash unsung-heroes. This podcast is co-produced by John Reyes and Balai Creative and is a product of Cultivate Labs. Stay in touch at belicreative.org and have a magical new year.